What happens when two dudes, one a retired Navy SEAL commander in Colorado Springs, and the other a hippie meditation teacher in New York City, get together to discuss living mindfully? That's a great question, because we don't know what will happen either. Raw, uncut, and unapologetic. Welcome to Men Talking Mindfulness with co-hosts John McCaskill and Will Schneider. Each week, we take an authentic dive into how mindfulness continually impacts our lives, deepens our relationships, and allows us to be emotionally alive. We filter all of our conversations through the man box, where we unpack how as men we are expected to act in society, how fighting the authentic human experience is exhausting and damaging, and how mindfulness can help. Now, on to the show. Hey, hello, everybody. Welcome to Men Talking Mindfulness. We're continuing on with season three. I'm Will Schneider coming to you from New York City. There's my brother from another mother over there, John McCaskill. Are you in Colorado Springs today, John? I am. So, I am. Yes, sir. <laughs> right. Good. So welcome, welcome to the show. We have a great guest today, Molly Caramel, with a great book, Breaking Up With Sugar. And this episode is not just for um, people that are this anybody. This is an episode for anybody that's struggling with sugar. So regardless of shape or size or age, this episode is for you. Um, so thank you for joining us today. Indeed. Um, without Indeed. further ado, I'm just gonna um, we'll bring up Molly, our, our special guest today. There she is. There she um, is. And today's guest, Molly Carmel, is a licensed clinical social worker, is a leading addiction and eating disorder therapist and founder of The Beacon by MC, which offers individual and group solutions, helping people break free of their, uh, their destructive relationship with food and dieting. Known for her irreverent, straight talk, no chaser attitude. She's also the author and innovative book, Breaking Up uh, with Sugar, a plan to divorce the diets, drop the pounds, and live your best life, and the host of podcast, uh, What You're Craving. Molly has made it her life's mission to help people find a sustainable solution to the battle of obesity and related eating, disorder, and, and related eating disorders. After battling an eating disorder for over 20 years and finding no solution in available treatment, Molly began her professional path and has never looked back. Molly's work has also been featured on the Today Show, Dr. Oz, Dateline NBC, Anderson. This is an incredible uh, resume here. Um, so uh, Anderson, long, Peter, 360, all good. Okay. You're also an extreme makeover as well as People Magazine and the Los Angeles Times. And also, Molly is a, is a good friend of mine. Uh, we work together here in New York City. I've actually had the opportunity to teach at The Beacon, her wonderful staff, um, and uh, we're so excited to have you, Molly. I've been looking for this, looking forward to this episode all season long. And thank, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. It's so to nice to meet you, John. You're part it's of our crew. I want to go on this retreat. It sounds come like on. We would love to have you join us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have a dog in the room, by the way. So, so yeah, Neil. Neil said the the uh, the retreat right now is men heavy. So we would love to add some Ooh, uh, me feminine in. energy. <laughs> come on. <laughs> wow. We'll see. We're just here to talk about sugar, but maybe we're going to heal me too. Hi, guys. So good to be here. So good to see you. Love you, Will. Love you, John. Love having you. Love here. you too, Molly. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Um, well, tell us, like, Molly, um, you know, how did this 
how did you bring yourself whoa, whoa, to this whoa, part? Whoa, I mean, will, 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 will. Whoa. Oh, we, yeah. oh, my God. Did yeah. I do it, John? It's usually <laughs> we, you. It's normally me, man. But Molly, <laughs> normally what we do is we kick the show off with a grounding practice. And I love that you bring up meditation and mindfulness yeah. in your book and how important, you know, diaphragmatic breathing is and what oh. how you can just breathe and heal. Just doing that. That in a, I'm also breath, you know, just in a on a side note, side hustle. My side hustle is breath work, Tibetan bowl healing, oh, like yes. Reiki, shamanism. So yeah. that's my You're side. Hustle. I don't like to bring it up front because like sometimes it freaks people out, but not on a show like this. So Not on a show like <laughs> No, trust me. If our audience no was ever going to be freaked out, they would have yeah, been freaked your, your out long ago. Like, I love her more. So I'll, I'll just close that up front. Yeah. 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 Grounding practice. I love so. to say like, let's arrive. Yeah. Right. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, that's yes. what that's exactly what this grounding practice is for. Uh, I'm obviously a hot mess right now, so John's going to lead the grounding practice. <laughs> We're just excited, Will. We're just in our I know. mind. Energized. People think Energized. emotion mind is so negative, but Will and I are in emotion mind. We're like, I love you. I haven't seen you. Let's talk. It's not always like I want to binge eat. I'm like, I was so excited to see my friend, but we got it. We got to arrive. Good thing John's here. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, we'll get settled and uh, get you know, get into a position that's comfortable for you. Whatever that looks like, back straight, but not necessarily stiff, just straight. And then just bring your attention to your breath. Let's just do some simple breath work. Nothing fancy, just some simple breath work, focusing on the breath. Let's breathe out nice and deep. Breathe all the air out. Breathe in through your nose. Really expand those lungs. Hold at the top. And release nice and slow, relaxed, nice and slow. Breathe in deep in through your nose. Hold at the top and relax. Breathing out nice and slow. Breathing deep in through your nose. Noticing the air passing your nostrils and expanding those lungs. Hold at the top and relax. One more. Breathing in deep. Pushing that diaphragm down, letting those lungs expand. Hold at the top and relax. Now just breathe naturally and in your own time, maybe bring some movement back into your body, start to blink your eyes open if they're closed or refocus. Simple, just a few breaths and hopefully we're uh, back focused and uh, de-stressed and here we are. I feel like a new person. There you go. (laughs) Also a little bit less, I mean, not to say it's negative, negative judgment to say I'm excited, but perhaps I'm going to be doing my better work, less excite. Like, I think it's such a, an interesting, because I think everybody thinks about mindfulness as help for negative emotions, right? But we're not in wisdom when we're highly excited about something. I think about sort of dating, maybe like we're in that like lust and love, like we're not, that's not wisdom either, right? So it's right. actually, I think it's such an interesting experience of me and Will being so excited, right? So blah, 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 blah. It's like, <laughs> Bring it down. Where Let's are we? Bring it down. Yeah. 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 Right. I love focused, it. Arrive. Focused excitement, right? Focused right. excitement. But focused I think that's enthusiasm. Right. I think it's so, there's such a negative, there's such like a, 
meditation as a healing for negativity is, and I believe you me, I say it like I wake up with the, with my plug in the wrong Jack every morning and I got to take it out and put it in the, the right one or the best <laughs> one for me. That's what my morning practice is only about me waking up like an insane person every morning. Right. And the practice of that. But it's an interesting idea that it's also, you know, when we get too involved in high, high, more positive emotions, it, it really does impact our judgment and maybe our wisdom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I have a ten tendency with that enthusiasm to go fast. I'm like, oh, <laughs> blah, blah. you know, and I can't like the words are jumbled and the thoughts are all like all over the place. So, yeah, yeah it's just it's like, you know, the grounding practice on our show we've been doing. It's a staple since the very, very beginning. And it really helps to ground the show. But it's also an opportunity uh, for people to understand, like if they've never really used the breath as a tool to relax the mind and the body and to, and to regain focus and get grounded as a great reminder or, or just a great, like, uh, Oh, Hey, like this really makes a big difference. So I'm more than one occasion, I've been referred to at my office as a fire hose <laughs> <laughs> or a Tasmanian devil. So yes. Yeah, <laughs> well, on the show, right? Yeah, absolutely. Raw, uncut, and unapologetic. That's our little slogan. Raw, uncut, and unapologetic. So yeah, exactly. we, we tell the truth. We drop the F-bomb. <laughs> we just have a lot of fun and completely raw. Bring so, all yeah. that straight talk and no chaser attitude. I mean, that's exactly That's me. Yeah, beautiful. Well, tell us, Molly, like, so how, like, I mean, your book is amazing. You tell your story in the book, but just give us a little brief intro to you know how you found yourself to this work and and um and where it's taken you i guess yeah uh i'll try to do that short um i'm a wounded healer i mean legit like that's i think like the, the quickest way to say it is i'm a wounded healer i think that you know i i come to the work that i do as a function of heal like trying to heal myself or trying to find my own a solution to a problem that i couldn't find healing in on my own and so to me, like the work I do is, it doesn't really, I mean, some, when it feels like work, I'm not doing it right. When it feels like my calling, I'm doing it right. And, you know, so to me, like I, you know, I suffered with an eating disorder for the better part of 20 years without being able to find solution. I, you know, I, first of all, I think biologically I was absolutely born you know, I was born susceptible to addiction in so many ways. Um, mm -hmm. And then I had a traumatic event happen right before I was three, my father passed away. And mm -hmm. like so many people, and it's so many tra tra traumatized young, I turned to food as a drug very, very early. And, um, and then that sort of became the thing, right. And so, yeah. and then at the age of seven, and I have to say, you know, I say this on podcasts a lot and people have like a big reaction to it. And I don't know if it's a function of the work I've done or just, I think it's a function of the work I've done both professionally and personally, but like at seven, my mom didn't know what to do. And she sent me to, to a nutritionist and people are like, can you believe that? And I'm like, yeah, she was outmatched. Like she didn't know what to do. She had binge eating in the seventies, the eighties, like, you know, it was nothing well, else to yeah. do. And so and unfortunately, or I could arguably say fortunately, sitting here, being able to help thousands and thousands and thousands of people, mm -hmm. it also started my relationship with compulsive dieting and thinking that the solution is in the diet, which, you know, I'm writing a second book about right now. I think our addiction to diet culture is arguably worse than our addiction to sugar. And our sure, addiction wow. to sugar yeah. is really bad. Um, 
And so my path um, as so many wounded healers and I think effective wounded healers got like really gnarly, like really ugly, really gnarly. Um, I ate my way through bariatric surgery. I went on every single diet. I went to every single length that a human being would go to, to try to negotiate their weights. And I saw it as a weight problem. And I certainly saw it as an eating disorder, but more through the lens of a weight problem, which again is my second book. And I have to say when I was 13 years old, I was at a weight loss camp having like the time of my life and, but also having this knowing that they weren't teaching me anything. They were restricting my food and running me. And like, and then like Josh Cohen was my boyfriend. It was like the time of my life, you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> I had a knowing inside of me, two knowings. Number one, um, I was gonna go home again on my weight back, which in Miss Pekovic's ninth grade home ec classroom, the, uh, that into my skinny jeans popped off, you know, and the shame and the demoralization was back. And I was back in the, in the hopper of gaining weight and going back into that ugly, ugly cycle of binge eating, restricting and all of this. And I also knew something happened to me in that moment. And I, and I only think of it as like really divine intervention. I can say in a show like this, um, something in my head's like, this is yours to, this is yours to fix. You know, you have to help people and this is yeah. what you have to do. And so it was this really interesting path for me because while I was doing all these incredibly like destructive things to myself and trying to find my own solution, I was, I was going to social work school, I was getting trained in addictions, I was working at weight loss camps, I was doing all of these things that none of it made sense at the time. All of it makes sense right now. Mm -hmm. And eventually, so slowly but surely, like, and so I was working, I started the first ever therapeutic boarding school for adolescent obesity. Um, and that is important in the story because that's really where I was first trained. And, and the model they had there was, you know, horrible. I didn't know it at the time. I was just being trained. And it was this very low fat eating and calorie counting. And I found myself just binging on like honey mustard pretzels and factory brownies. And I was working out so much at the time it didn't impact. And so slowly but surely, as I started my own clinics, I was gaining weight hand over fist and I didn't know what to do. And I was binging my brains out and I was, I was sick. I was spiritually yeah. sick, emotionally sick, wow. I was sick. And, right. you know, listen, I mean, I'm trained. I just, you know, sugar is my solution. I didn't want it to be my problem, yeah. you know? Yeah. And oddly enough, yeah. my brother, my brother, who's thir he's 13 years younger than me, he's a big guy. And he went on paleo. At this time I'm, wor I'm working at an eating disorder center and uh, I'm gaining weight hand over fist and I'm just, I'm miserable. And the double life of it all, honestly, the spiritual pain of a double life of like, yeah, you really should work on this. And then I'm going home and binging my brains out. It was just like more yeah. than my soul could handle. And when is this? What, what, what's the date on this or what time, uh, what year or something like I'm that? Just to get time for I'm stamping it about 15 years ago. Okay, got it. Years yeah. ago. And um, so my brother goes on paleo. I see him be so successful on paleo. And I think, well, I need a quick fix. Like this is not working. And, you, and so like another diet feels like a great idea, obviously, but I give up sugar. Uh, I give up a lot of things at the time that I actually add back in because I don't think it's healthy, but I give, I give up sugar and two things happen. Uh, number one, I go through detox and I'm an addictions therapist. So I was like, oh, this is curious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sweating wow. and this is a big deal. And then the other wow. thing that happened is my life got a lot better, right? Like I stopped having cravings and I really released weight kind of easily and I slept better. And so all these things started happening. And so then I was like, oh, yikes, this is really the solution. And then I, and then I started getting uh -huh. training and got mentorship. And then I, I, I tell you something else. I walked into work one day and I flipped my clinic on its ass. Like I was like, because the other thing I noted when I woke up 
was that a lot of the people in my clinic were white knuckling just like me, right? Like they wow. weren't yeah. well, they were certainly losing weight, things like that, but they weren't getting well. And once I started to understand the food addiction model and I started, and then, and then again, by the way, like, and the food addiction model that was being used was actually not something I was interested in either because I've been a substance use therapist for so long also that like, I don't, food addiction models, I knew it was highly abstinent, like know this, know that, know this. And nobody was talking about the, the sort of lapse inevitability, I put it into human terms, like the idea that like, it's not if you're going to fuck this up, you're going to fuck this up. Like when you're talking about food, like you're screwing it up, like period. And so that diet mentality and that abstinence violation of us, like, you know, go, you know, what you, you have a bad day on a diet, you go off for 12 years, you know, it's not, we don't, we don't really use our minds. You know, you have a fight with your wife. You're not like, we're getting divorced, right? You have a bad day at work, you don't quit your job, but somehow we like eat a brownie when we're trying not to eat sugar. And then we're like, eating for 12 years. It's so crazy how we are. And so right. I had all this information and I, once I found, and I think once I really saw a long-term relationship viability in not eating sugar, I knew, uh, I just knew I had to, and I just, I, I just get, I just get that. I know I, I really have an understanding of how we can make this to be a relationship. People are not looking at food like a relationship. They're looking at it like a diet. Yeah. Well, the, I, I didn't real I didn't realize that. Uh, sorry, the, I didn't realize that the paleo, like uh, I didn't realize paleo. There's no sugar in paleo, and that's that was well, where the light bulb went on. This is like how I saw paleo. <laughs> like, oh, okay, okay. Actually, they, they use like a lot of those sugars, um, like the I don't know coconut sugars. Like to me, like it's all to my my brain reads any sugar I put in my body is sugar. Like monk fruit, like it doesn't matter. Don't right. even get me started on artificial sweeteners and. And oh, I, we're going to get you started on that. We want to. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this fun fact about me, but um, you know, I see a small caseload of people. And I actually treat a lot of men and I always have. And it's a really interesting struggle, men and, and food addiction. And, and I have to say this. I don't know how quiet it is, but men and diet addiction is pretty crazy. And successful men and diet addiction, and especially men in finance, men who are very like, because it's I actually think it's the same um, I think it's the same process addiction with dieting that you're looking to score. Like I think the scale addiction with men is very intense. And I, mm. and I, I treat a lot of men who do hedge funds and are CEOs. And I think that same go get it and high you get off of the deal and you get off of it. I think they're all, they're all very aligned from a brain chemistry perspective. Mm. Um, also very interesting data on binge eating that when we restrict it, cues the brain to binge it's a, like, like it's a secret formula mm. and i have a lot of men they're like well i didn't eat breakfast i'm like yep so you can eat at night you know like not fooling me man you know so yeah i have a lot to say that's just yeah. sort of my, those are my opening remarks i want to well, jump I, in on a yeah, couple of things there one you know in the book uh obviously breaking up with sugar is what we're here to talk about i, sure. I love the the title breaking up with sugar instead of quitting sugar, instead of, you know, giving it up, we're breaking up with it because you talk about it in the book as an abusive relationship, as, you know, you, you have this relationship, you, you break up with the, you know, the, the spouse, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, whatever. And then that boyfriend or girlfriend comes crawling back and they, they're so sweet to and you. Like, Oh, something's going to change. Oh, and you bring them back in. It. Yeah. And that's exactly what sugar does in our lives. And I, I love the way that you talk about that. And then the other thing that you talked about there is, is uh, 
you know, those high performing, successful men is who, who you specifically mentioned is they're often looking for that next dopamine fix. And you talk about how sugar affects our dopamine receptors in the book. And actually, if you could go into that a little bit, because a lot of our listeners that they seek those dopamine and myself included, I, I'm, I'm a dopamine addict, if you will. And yeah. And <laughs> I think sugar is, is, is a part of that. I'm a lot of addict. Yeah. Yes. So I'd love to hear more about one, the relationship, how you talk about it that way. And then two, the, the dopamine receptors being dulled by sugar. I think I've been an eating, I, I don't, I've been an eating service therapist so long, um, that to not bring in, I mean, it's like a, it's, it's slowly entered in the book about this, um, this diet addiction that we have. But I think the reason I would not say quit sugar, uh, and I would say breaking up with sugar is because I think until we conceptualize food as a relationship that we have, yeah. we yeah. can't have a healthy relationship with it. So if we're continuously thinking about sugar as a means to lose weight or, and I think even in some ways, good or bad, you know, until we're thinking about food as a relationship that we have, right. Until we're thinking yeah. about it like that, we actually can't get well because we have to be in a relationship with food. And I say that in the book, there's two relationships that we need to have in this world. And one is with food and one is with ourselves. Am I right? Yeah. So it's like, and I actually, I say, so my mother has this phrase that says messy room, messy life. And I always <laughs> say to patients, you know, messy food, messy life. Like I was in, I was in a session today with a woman who's having all of these relationship problems with her kids and her this, and she's, and she's crossing boundaries and people are crossing boundaries with her. My first question is how you, how's your food? Mm. Messy. And I was like, when you put down the bound, when you put down the boundaries on your food, you allow for all of this chaos to come in. It's a really interesting. And mm. I think, you know, like I hate this, I hate these words, self-love and self-care and yet I do think that the strategies and the methods in which we create a healthy and loving relationship with food actually teach us how to care and love for ourselves. So I think there's like a real parallel there now. Yeah. So well, now, you, you actually just to support what you're saying, Molly, in the book, I mean, um, you guys in, uh, so nicely. What's that? Oh, that's the only podcast where no one's ever read my book. I'm so prepared. Oh, no, we're going to I'm going to quote right from your book here, which talks about, you know, just support what you're talking about as far as that relationship. Right. Um, and this is a I forget what chapter, but the power struggle in your brain and goes, you're living in two contradictory thoughts that are in a battle. You know that sugar makes you feel good in the moment, but you also know that sugar is harming every part of your body, mind and spirit. What a dilemma. What makes matters worse is this battle is super painful for your brain, which is wired to avoid pain at all costs. In my business, we call this discomfort cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is fascinating too, because you know what else is like, just to go off topic for like climate, like the our climate dilemma is rooted in that too. Wow. Right. Like it's easier for me to just drink out of a plastic cup than it is yeah. for me to think about the impact that that plastic cup has. Like that's sure. what, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. dissonance is, I, cause like if you hang with me a lot, I'm always like, uh, like half of my life is like, oh, the dissonance of it all. <laughs> because it's, because it's a pleasurable thought to have a sip out of a plastic cup 
And it's a displeasurable thought to think, oh God, if I have to go get a glass cup and I'm getting a glass cup because that's better for the, that's too painful to think about. Mm. And so in many ways, thinking more about the pleasure of what it would feel like to be sugar-free is going to benefit you more than thinking about all the pain that pleasure, all the pain that sugar causes. Is that there's a lot of chapters in that too, but it's it's actually what we're really thinking about in general right now. Does that mean like so the dissonance of it all? It's like, and I think the other thing about sugar, which I read about in the book, is like, I mean, and John, I think is someone who really shows it, like it's a it's installment plan pain. Like it doesn't, and that's the thing about type two diabetes. Like you're, they're not cutting off your foot till way down the line. So your doctor can say to you, you're pre-diabetic and you're like, oh my God, that's terrible. And then three minutes later, you have the mochi ice cream going in your mouth because it doesn't hurt in the moment, right? Right, right. And the that's that the mochi yeah. ice cream in a dopamine receptor way, that right. immediate right now, here it is, is like, yeah, okay, I'm sure, I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're going to cut off my foot. And what's really interesting, in my mm. humble opinion, is when Mike Bloomberg, many years ago, Mike Bloomberg. Oh, the big gulps. He said, he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put the calories of all wow. these foods on the wall, and that's going to make people not order them. Mm. And as we know from cognitive dissonance, it didn't make it, didn't make a shit of difference. Nobody cares. And I think most of you are like, yeah, I'm sure. Or I'll deal with it later. I mean, it's the American way. Like, no, that's never no. going to help somebody. Well, take us through um, that, that like, you know, because we said addiction. So maybe some people don't understand, like, how you can be possibly addicted to a food or sugar. Like, so, you know, when you're breaking down and speaking to your, or, you know, and, and helping your clients understand this relationship to sugar and it's an addictive relationship, like, what does that addiction look like? You know, yeah, or yeah. How, does, yeah. how would you define it like therapeutically? And, yeah. and in an aside, like it's, it's actually, it's highly controversial. Two addictions. It's, yeah, right? it's addictions. Yes, you guys are yeah. such good students. Gosh, you really incentivized <laughs> me to be on this show. We love yes, you, Molly. I made John read this book <laughs> because don't fuck this up, John. I know Molly. I love Molly. We got to do this. Oh, I'm my God. Kidding. I'm honestly like, I'm so, like, there's people like, I've been on some of like, can you have fruit? I'm like, okay, so you didn't open any pages. Is what uh, yes, I know. <laughs> So I can eat it. Goes, Just don't drink it. That's your go-to. Mangoes are your go-to, Molly. Yes, your fruit. Yes, your fruit. So let's talk about the first addiction, which is a is a, is a, a substance addiction. It's, so here's the thing: like I, nobody would be happier to have it not be addiction than me, because I have all twelve out of twelve. So in chapter four of that book that I wrote, Breaking Up Sugar, there's a quiz, and if you don't want to buy the book, that's fine by me. You can just go. Google Yale food addiction scale. And I just made a quicker, cuter version of it. But the problem, I mean, listen, when we can define a problem, we can define a solution, right? So there if you, you have the problem and the solution is probably going to work for you. And yeah. there are these like 12 criteria from the diagnostic statistics manual from the Yale food addiction scale. And I think the other thing that's really helpful to me when there's a measure is how badly do I have the thing? Because there's people who score three out of it and it's like, okay, then maybe you don't need to deal with this or maybe you want to deal with this now because it's a progressive illness. So some, what are some of the things? Like, you know, eating more than you intend to, right? Which is like, okay, I'm having 
one cookie. I'm having one, I'll have, I'll have a serving of Thin Mints tonight and that's all I'll have. Right. And then you're sort of going back and going back and going back. Like that is like, that's addiction, right? Eating despite knowing it's bad for you. Like a doctor, I mean, the story I just told you, right. A doctor saying, Hey, this is pre-diabetic, man. You got to cut down the sugar. And you're like, definitely. And you would like sign it in blood while you're in the doctor's office. And then you're like mochi ice cream in the, in the bathroom. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. One that I also really, really love is, um, I mean, eating, eating more than intended. One that I do love is that, and I don't know if this applies to you guys, but it's like, it's, it's not doing things as a result. Like, so it's, it impacts your social and recreational activities. I've had a lot of people that have stopped dancing, have stopped riding horses, things mm. like that. Um, I mean, there's just, there's so many of them, but there's real criteria of this. Um, and I think there's eating more than you intend to. And and then there's withdrawal from it, which I think happens to a lot of us. So withdrawal would be almost the same story, which would say that I need to go get it. And I think going, there's just so many. I mean, I really think you said something about, like in the book, you said something about crossing, uh, crossing the street without looking both ways in order to go get whatever yeah. it was you were craving. And, yeah. and you, you got the 12 out of 12 on the, on the, I got a 12 out of 12. I, yeah. I mean, if there was 13, I would win that game. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure I was right there pretty close well, with you. And I think I do this, this other exercise in the book, which I really love, which I think, and especially I, I know this is, I think for men to really look at, um, I have everybody do like a diet history and really mm -hmm. look at, and I think, cause I, I don't know why, I mean, I don't know, look at all the different ways that you've looked to try to control your use. And for many of us, I think most of that, that list is going to be long and unsuccessful. Wow. Or if I mean, it is successful, it's, it's successful only for a very short time, right? Well, I think when someone says to me, well, Weight Watchers worked, I'm like, why are we sitting here? Yeah, it didn't. yeah exactly. Right. Well, I just think we right. can really rationalize so many things. Someone's like, well, that, that carnivore diet worked for me. And I'm like, it didn't. You're paying me to work. I'm, I'm working for you right now. It didn't. Like, it's, and it's a 12-step concept of declaring powerlessness. It's really saying like, mm. and, and listen, we have plenty of power, personal power. I believe in it. I love it, whatever. But there is this piece with sugar where we have to really say like, I am unemployable at man. I am unemployable at fixing this problem. I, I'm unemployable. Wow. You would not hire me. And when you look at that list of your diet history, you're like, oh, wow. I'm like, as a business person, you're like, oh, I'm terrible at this. Look at that. Look at that list. Oh, wow. That's what happened to me. Someone had me make that list. And I was like, and, and I do this professionally. I'm like, oh, wow. I'm terrible at managing my eating disorder. Look at that. I really need help and I need a different structure and I need to really look at this from with new eyes. And I have to, you know, go mm. look, look for some help. So I love this process addiction you're talking about too. Process so substance addiction, we know them, right? The cocaine of it, the heroin of it, the crystal meth of it, the alcohol of it. The, that, so that's a, it's the substance that gets right. you high. But food is is a two is a two-hitter. And the second part is the process addiction. Process addiction is <laughs> sex and gambling and swiping and all of that. So yeah. it's a double dopamine. And oh, the wow. process yep. of eating and the process of overeating, actually, which is very, very hard to research. It's, I don't know that there will ever be a day that we'll be able to define a process addiction of binging. It's a longer story than I even want to tell you about, but it is, it's a process addiction. It's the process of eating. So you have a double whammy there and you have a double um, manifestation of it in your dopamine receptors. The other thing I also need to say as we're getting all sciencey, I hope I'm not like 
making people. We love it. We love this. So here's the other real problem with, um, with the sugar. Okay. So when you have a, when you have a substance addiction, a substance addiction is a nervous system problem, right? So we know this, the cocaine, you're like, you and I were talking about like, so substance abuse, right in my dopamine receptors, you know, all that, like all that, whatever, whatever. It's all up here. Food is, food is here and it impacts the endocrine system, right? Mm. So it's all the hormones. So it's a, it's a four, it's a four pronged thing. It's substance, it's process, it's nervous system, it's endocrine system. Wow. That's the diabetes of it all. So, you know, you, you might not have all four of them. I've actually met people who are, you know, food addicted, not eating disordered, who are overweight, not food addicted, who are under, who are normal weight and food. It's, it comes in so many shapes and sizes, but here's the beauty of it. The answer to all of them is the same. <laughs> like stop eating sugar. Right. And flour, if we're and flour, yes, and flour. Which yeah, is, well, I uh, well, just to, yeah, the uh, well, this also to come to work with the uh, um, you know the endocrine side and hormone side. It also this addiction or or the I guess the cycle that we're trying to continually fight and fill at the same time is that this shame cycle, right? Which is like which you talk so much that. about in the book, and it's like, and um, so talk about that as far as like what is what's going on there with shame and and how does sugar. What's that relationship to shame and sugar? And then how does that really just kind of screw us up even more? I mean, keep coming back for more, I guess, right? Well, I think that's more of that like diet cycle, right? It's like we find in like our soul, we find a way to say, okay, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. And the thing I actually think is, is really important here is that it's like the diet failed you. <laughs> like you didn't fail the diet when you look at how bad this relationship with food is, like this relationship status exam, when you look at that, I think the thing I want people to understand is that so often they've been diagnosed with strep throat and they're just taking Advil, you know what I mean? Or they're just taking like a cough drop and they're like, I still have strep throat. And it's like, no shit. Like you're not, I always say like, you have to find a solution as big as your problem. And I think diet culture totally fucks with us here, right? Because they're like, just do a seven-day cleanse. Like, you're good. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> a seven-day cleanse makes addiction worse. It progresses in addiction, to be honest, because you quit. And then the addiction oh, comes God. back stronger, right? Mm. And I'm always like, like what do we do day eight? Yeah, like stronger cravings or something like that. Because you just By the like, way, talk yeah. about dissonance, cleanse. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm, yeah. I'm like, I'll do a cleanse instead of dealing with my larger addiction. Right. Of course. Yeah. So I say this because diet culture or that, that it breeds shame, like the, it breeds shame. Right. Because shame says there's something wrong with me. Mm. Oof. Yeah. Right. And so diet yeah. culture breeds shame period. Because mm. you're like, I don't know how we do this. I'm like, God bless our earnest souls. Am I right? Because you're like, I, I, I had this, I had this client the other day and I read her chart and I, and she was like, I have seen 30, I've seen 20 nutritionists. I've tried seven programs. And somehow I didn't look at the date of birth. I don't know. I was like distracted, probably too excited, John. And <laughs> I got on the zoom and it's a 20 year old girl. And it's hard, it's hard to impress me because I've been doing this so long. And I said, oh my God, I was certain you were going to be a 55-year-old woman. 
Like I, like I had absolute certainty. And she's like, no, why? I was like, cause I just read your diet history and I can't believe you even came to see me. Like, God bless you. You know what I mean? Mm. So because diet culture says do this thing and you will be all better. Now, listen, there's no such thing as all better. We're on a mindfulness podcast. There ain't <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's always a practice, always work in progress. That ain't the thing, right? Pema children. We got Pema children next to me being like, that, that's no, there's no way. Is that possible? So that's the first problem is that we're, it, our dissonance is like totally seven day cleanse healed. It's like, nope, right? And in fact, if you're in more of an eating disorder space, in fact, eating disorders are actually the hallmark of eating disorders is times of relapse, right? It's just like happens. I had a patient this morning and she said, it's back. And I said, well, yeah, it comes back. And then we deal with it, and, you know, but yeah. the practice of it all, right? And great. I'm so proud of you. You got it at level one. We're not even it's like a little thing. We're just putting out a little, a little cigarette on the floor. There's no forest fire here. So of course it breeds shame. Right. Because I earnestly open up myself to the idea that I'm going to work with this nutritionist or I'm going to try this conventional diet. Right. That diet fails me. There's no like, you know, process circle of like, hey, we're really sorry. You know, you're sicker than we thought you were. So obviously I take it to mean there's something wrong with me. I'm fat for life. I can't do this. I'm never going to get well. Something's wrong with me. Mm. Repeat that five times. Repeat. And by the way. When I worked in my my boarding school, yeah, I tell my brain I deserve this treat since I eat good most of the time. Mm. I, I just have. To, can I talk about that? Please go for yeah. absolutely, yeah. So I I think that the languaging is so important there. Like, and I don't think we think through the treats, Susie. I mean, that's what I would say. Like, if you really evaluated that treat, if you really said, is that really a treat? Right? Is it? Does it? Does it do to you what a treat does? Because usually with sugar, it comes at a cost. It's not neutral, right? If I'm like, oh, I'm going to go get a massage or I'm going to go sit in a bath. And I have, there's chapters of this in the book. Like those are actually treats. They treat me well. I'm done. But those treats, by the way, in, in an intensity perspective, live in like six and seven right? It's not a 10 treat, but it also doesn't give me like a bottomed out one perspective. So I'm always so mindful about, and listen, I mean, I'm training this dog behind me. What am I doing to train him? Giving him treats. You got it. So, you know, here we are. Yeah. This is real life podcast. That's right. We go yeah. live. Yeah. Yeah. Dog. There's a dog in the background. My dog has to come in and out all day, every day when I'm so home. It's ridiculous. It's so, in, it's so inconvenient. Uh, but this is life in our new world. Life is so, lifey, right? Life is lifey. So I think this thing about breeding shame, like, well, of course it breeds shame because the messaging we're getting and mm. the re and what it takes to re-message that does take effort. And our brains are like, our brains are, these brains are so devolved, right? So mm. I, I had a, I had a, a man on my podcast, um, what you're craving, Michael Moss, he wrote a book called Hooked and, um, and it's all about big food mm. and it's all about the food industry and how it just totally has us hooked. Like, yeah. That guy right. said, and he wrote the book, Sugar, Salt, Fat. And he said to me, you know, Molly, when I wrote Sugar, Salt, Fat, if you had said to me that food was addicted, I'd be like, that, that's like, he's like, that's a little intense. He's like, after writing Hooked, he's like, 
hands down, so addictive. We are so up against something here. And he mm. reminded me of our evolutionary process in which we do things that are easy, right? So in yeah. fact, like, it's easier to eat the dead antelope on the street as an animal than it is to like go and kill an antelope, right? Because I was asking him about intuitive eating. Um, I said, so as you're explaining this, intuitive eating is not really a thing. He's like, I don't even know what that is, but like, no. Because our intuition doesn't really work when it comes to food. And I think if it does work, the level of mindfulness that we need to have. Here's a quick story. One of my best friends is a is a she's also my agent. She's a she's like a, a longtime Buddhist. So she's a and she has like a meditation practice. Like, I mean, certainly shames me and I do transcendental meditation. I mean, she is as Buddhist as they get, you know? So we're all in Cape Cod. I'm with her kids and uh, everybody's eating like all this chocolate. You know, I'm not eating chocolate. That's not my food. And, and Stephanie says to me later, she said, well, I was going to eat the chocolate, but then I had to get really quiet and think to myself, well, I'm not going to have that. She had, all I'm saying is this longtime Buddhist meditator almost had the chocolate but really dug deep, like that's not life. Talk about life getting lifey, you know? So <laughs> really declaring sugar as a problem is useful in the society that we live in. And I think with the brains, the evolution of our brains that we're given, when we want it quick, we want it easy. We live in a quick, easy society, whatever. So to go mm -hmm. back to Will's question on shame, yeah, it breeds shame. Diet failure breeds shame. Yeah. Trying something that is not this, that is a lower grade solution than the problem that you have breeds shame. Right. And yet, you know, people are very, people are very ingrained. And I think diet culture is the essence of dissonance. Mm -hmm. Diet culture yeah. and cleanses are the essence of dissonance because they sell us something much easier than what, I mean, I have to be like yeah. cute and funny about this. Cause I'm like selling kind of unfortunate news. Right. <laughs> yeah, when we, right. when we advertise this, people are like, no, you're going to take away our sugar. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't take I'm away good. my sugar now. <laughs> right. Like I'm good. Thanks guys. Right. But you mentioned the food industry and something that I had uh, as a banner on the screen there for a second was about the bliss point and I'll bring it back. The, can you speak about the bliss point, what it is, and then what it does to us physiologically that basically shuts shuts down the ability to feel full? Yeah, I mean, I think what, what I'd say, like as a really general statement, like whether or not you're like, shit, am I a food addict? I mean, there are mm. billions and billions of dollars plowed into labs trying to figure out this bliss point right? Trying to figure out, well, how sweet and how salty and how fatty are we going to make so that they will buy more? Mm -hmm. There are people who are paid so much money to help us. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, good. We oh, love good. it. That's what we love about this show is it's real. And, and I think it's interesting that they, they, I'll just jump in as we, as Molly takes care of her dog, but they actually use this term in the industry, right? Bliss point. This is actually an industrial secret, term. But then point. it came out. I think it was a secret and then it came right. out. You know what I'm right. saying? Mm -hmm. So where were we before? Talking about this point and how, how they're, they've. I mean, yeah. God bless them. I mean, you got to say about the dogs, guys, they're just trying to protect us. Like, yeah. a, like a car just came in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and please us. All love. It's a gesture, is what I'm saying, you know? 
Let's see. I grew up with shame for not eating enough. Yes. Growing up on a farm. I agree. I think the thing that Richard's saying over here, like he's saying, listen, I have some core values around food that say I have to be overflow. I have to finish everything on my plate. I think that there's a lot about core values that we come into. I'm that way. I've got kids and they don't finish what's on the plate. I finish what's on their plate because yeah. I grew up being yeah. told you must finish everything on your plate because if you don't, there are kids in X, Y, or Z who are starving. But what does my finishing what's on my plate have to do with any of that? But it yeah. literally ingrained a value in my mind that we will not throw away food. Yeah. And um, I, mean, so that's I get, I get what Richard's Moss. saying. Like Michael Moss was saying like in his book, cause it, it's his research is so good about this. Like he's like, when you think about going with your dad to a baseball game and eating that hot dog or getting that ice cream with your mother on Cape Cod in the summer, like that is, that is creating neural pathways that are so unbeatable. Like what Susie's saying, she's like, yeah, we all get together and have dessert. What are you saying to me? Like, don't do that, Molly. And I'm like, I'm actually saying that. If you, if this is your problem, it's about right. creating new ways to ritualize in community that don't have to do with sugar. I mean, that's and that's challenging. And yet, I, I mean, I haven't had, I haven't had sugar or flour in 12 years. Just if we're playing a game here, imperfectly, but. I mean, not by virtue, by the way, right? By necessity, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the way I picture it is coming back to that relationship, right? Yeah. So if you're out with a bunch of friends and if you could imagine uh, a relationship that just didn't work, somebody who had uh, a partner who was abusive, like, okay, let's say the partner is mine and that partner is abusive. And I sit down at a table. I no longer have my partner because I know that partner is abusive. And now that partner is with my friend. But for some reason, in that relationship, it works, right? Okay. Well, I I'm not going to tell them, hey, break up. It's 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 not working. Right. But I'm not going to move over to that side of the table and suddenly start having a relationship with that person again, right? So coming back to Susie's comment, and that it's such a social thing too. You go out with your family and friends to celebrate yeah. together, and sugar is always coming into play. But you have and to you have to understand. Yeah, I mean, this is also like where I just do think like it's so hard. Like this is in my personal story and this is what I wrote in the book, right? It's like sugar just seemed to be my solution. Sugar was my solution to right. everything and sugar was inclusive. Mm. And when my father died, sugar nurtured me and nourished me. I mean, I it was the last house on the block that I wanted to move into. I mean, I'm an addictions person. I'm an eating disorder. Like you think that no one ever told me about prediabetes. And I was like, Oh, maybe it's the sugar. Like it was so the last thing that I wanted to look at. And it's such a denial, such an adaptive mechanism. Right. The thing I think we're forgetting here is when you really have the problem, the solution works really well. And as someone who is, people say to me, well, you just don't want that cake. And I'm like, literally, I don't. Because to think about what my life looks like today and to think about mm. adding sugar back in makes no sense to me whatsoever. It makes no sense to me. And also, like, I've eaten all the cake. Mm. All the <laughs> yeah. cake John. John, all the cake. Yeah. Costco <laughs> cake. I've eaten all of it. And it's wow. not enough. You know what I mean? Someone said well, to me, well, I ate a pint of ice cream. I was like, which one's that? They're like, 
Yeah. For, for, I was like, oh, okay, what else did you do? Like, that's not even exciting to me. That's like kind of a certain, <laughs> like a Ben and Jerry, like that's kind of like, you know, like that's how I do this game. And that, it, it really, it, it's about mindfulness. Like it doesn't, like there's, I'm not present. I am constantly seeking. I am never right. happy. I am not, I'm just not available. And I think we don't look at those consequences when it comes to food and, and, and not to put words in the mouth, but I think so often we're actually thinking about the consequences to others. Like, we're like, well, how am I going to go to my friend's birthday party? It's like, I mean, I'm usually going to my friend's birthday party. If I'm eating cake, I'm, I'm not even there. I'm just, just like, I'm on a date with the cake. You know, I'm going <laughs> to. Right. Yeah. That's we're going to dinner, it's like a new couple and they're just like zooming at each other's eyes. And you're like, um, guys, like we're here too. It's like, that's me at the party. Like, I'm just like, Hey, is it time for cake? Like, is it, are we eating cake? Are we, is it, so is it cake? Like, are we doing that now? And I, you know, I don't drink either. And I have the same story with alcohol, right? I'm sitting at the dinner. I'm like, wait, so she's having two glasses. I'm having two. Can I get one more glass? Is it, it's, I'm not there. Like we're talking mm -hmm. about men and mindfulness. Like I'm not present at all mm -hmm. in that yeah. story. You mentioned alcohol there. Um, and, and in the book, you talk about physiologically how your body recognizes sugar and what it does with sugar. Can you talk about the similarities between alcohol and sugar and how your body processes those? Yeah, but I think sugar and alcohol, alcohol are a molecule away. I mean, they're literally nearly the same exact thing. And in fact, the thing I love to talk about most of all, which is artificial sweeteners, right? Mm. Sugars, I like to call them. I mean, they're mm -hmm. really distilling sugar alcohol. They're like distilling the, I mean, that's what sugar alcohol is, right? And so in all of, and in, in you know, our beautiful society trying to like, let us have our cake and eat it too. They're actually harming us so much more significantly by putting all this processed, really cancer causing stuff into our food and messing with our taste buds. Like, do you know that Splenda, don't, is, I'm not sure exactly the data I don't have, 600 times as sweet as sugar. Yeah. Yeah. I was shocked when I read that. Yeah. I was like, wow. What did you this point. Did you read the stevia one? Because then everyone's like, yeah, but I yeah. have stevia. I'm like, still yeah. 200 times. Like, yeah. so this artificial sweetener stuff is like so messing mm. our ability to eat a banana. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, That's I don't right. need, I hate that I'm this person because like morbidly obese Molly's like rolling her eyes when I say things like this, like my fat, my really like morbidly obese self. But like, like I'll eat a banana every now and then or like a mango and I'm like, Sam, you know, but like, Someone who's like deep in like putting three Splenda into their coffee is eating a banana. Like there's no bliss. Talk about bliss point. I don't, you can't get a bliss point from that because you're, yeah. and also, you know, the artificial dopamine's not there either. Hunger because when you're not putting calories in your body, right. Mm. It, it's like your body's like, I need more food, you know? And then the other one is not my area of expertise, but I really wish it was, is what the artificial sweetener and the sugar does to your gut health. Right. Mm. Oof, destroys yeah. gut bacteria, destroys gut bacteria, which I think is like the only thing that's going to matter pretty soon is our gut health. Yeah, yeah. What we have. But, but you, uh, well, also flour. I mean, we haven't really. What I, I was really kind of shocked in the book when you are equating sugar and flour as basically well, processed flour. So talk, talk about and uh, as basically the same substance because it actually has the same biological and Literally. physiological effect as sugar. And I was like, what? Because I love pizza. Yeah, I'm not a big sugar person, but I like, well, I, I, I'll I eat will, a slice Oh my God, Will, that's like literally what people say to me. They're like, well, I'm not really into sugar. I was like, you into angel hair pasta? They're like, totally. You into bread? Yeah. Oh my God, yes. I was yeah. like, okay, pasta, yeah. 
And you know what's so sad about America? When I was selling, when I was selling this book, one of the uh, one of the publishing houses was like, "Can you take the flower part out of the book? I'm not interested in it." And I was like, "I cannot do that." Yeah, but I understand. They're the same. Okay, so here's the story, Morning Glory. Let's say I bought us all cacao plants and we just chewed on them, right? Yeah. We would have the same reaction. Like if I chewed on a cacao plant, I would be like, we'd have like, it would be a little high, like a little half a cup of coffee, something like that, right? If I grounded that up and we snorted it or even we ate it, you know what ground up cacao is, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Right? So the same can be said, same thing with, oh, something with opium, right? If we were like, had a poppy, little poppy muffin or something, whatever, little some poppy. Yeah, the- like, okay, whatever, no big deal. Grind up that poppy. I'm stealing from my grandmother. You know what <laughs> I mean? For more poppy. Right. So the same can be said with wheat. Like, honestly, like even with Ezekiel bread, something natural sprouted, right? Or brown rice. You know, you grind that up into pasta. It's the same exact. And it's the the brain chemistry of it is exactly the same. And what I actually find really interesting for some people, that's, (laughs) well, you know, Richard, Richard's like, can I just substitute sugar for cocaine? I was on a podcast once and they said, sugar is as, they say sugar is as addictive as cocaine. What do you think? I said, I think you've never had cocaine then. (laughs) Whatever it's worth. (laughs) Anyway, back to my flower thing. So, Cause it is, but it isn't right. It's like, it's the same thing. It's on the installment plan. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, so when you grind up, when you grind up grain, your brain reads it as sugar. And I think the same, Will, I think that's exactly what you're saying, which is I'm not really a sweet tooth guy, but if right. you put a pizza in front of me, count, like I brought, I might not be able to stop. I mean, me well, too. I, me I didn't too. realize like that's like, you know, I'm, I am I really love pizza. Like I kind of like I'm a connoisseur of pizza throughout the city, but not realizing now I'm realizing like, oh, one of the reasons I like pizza so much is because of what it does to my brain chemistry. Flour. You know, yeah. it really just it gives me that like, oh, my God, it's so delicious. But it's really the flour and what is how it's affecting my brain. I mean, I love the sauce and sausage sometimes yeah. and stuff like that on my pizza. But it's just like, wow. And now I'm like analyzing like, well, maybe I shouldn't have. No, this is exactly what I wanted to. I'm so glad you said that last part because I am so cautious about villainizing food and I'm really cautious about pathologizing people. And I know you pretty well. And like, I just don't think you have a food addiction. No, I'm like, I love good, healthy food. Stop eating pizza because I think you like stop. You know what I mean? Like, I think you can stop. Like, I think you're like just a really, like, I just don't think you have the thing. Like, and I'm like always happy to tell people that because like, I think people like, think I'm like the sugars are, and I'm like smoke them if you got them. Like again, like I just can't do it. Like I can't do it. I you and me eating pizza is like the greatest case study in watching an addict and a non-addict eat. Like just like an alcoholic. I love the sauce. Like ooh, this mozzarella is better than that. And I'm like, so where yeah. do we get more? Like, <laughs> yes. yeah. I'm the same. Again, coming back to kids, you know, we we, we buy some sweets to you know treat our kids when they go potty or whatever. Right. And, uh, and then my wife's like, Hey, where's the potty treats? I'm like, Oh, that whole bag of family size M&Ms. Oh yeah. I ate that. I just have no control around sugar. And I have such a shame response to that. Like, and I'm such a people pleaser. Like I'll just make sure I get like five bags so I can just like not make anyone unhappy or catch me about it. You know, back in the day, I got, I got a story <laughs> and, uh, my, one of my, uh, 
when I was going to postgraduate school, my roommate will appreciate this story. He went, uh, he went away for a weekend and I opened the refrigerator and there were some dark peanut butter cups, chocolate peanut butter cups in the, in the, in the freezer. And I ate the entire thing and he had eaten maybe two or three and I ate the entire thing. And I went to the store, bought another one to replace it, put it in the, put it in the freezer, ate, you know, a few just to make it look like it was the same one, ate that entire thing and then went back. So uh, yeah, I need to break up with sugar. I'm your sister from another mother. (laughs) Well, this thing that Nathan was saying over on the side, which is- That's my brother-in-law. That's your, who's that? Nathan White is my brother-in-law. More family. We're all family here. Look at this. Welcome. So Nathan's saying this thing, which is so true, which he's saying, this is so poignant. Sugar is the most addictive substance and an epidemic. I agree with that. Hmm. The problem we're up against is very much what everyone else is saying. And it's societal. And nobody actually teaches us how to, listen, how to break up with it but also how to mess that up and come back to it, right? So, because I think that, that that's really where diet, so like, you know, listen, and, and I think the truth of this is like, the opiate epidemic is also like a real epidemic. And and the, re, the people who are making progress in the opiate epidemic are people who are understanding that for many people, relapse is a part of that story. And so they're actually, mm looking at this, you know, like, so that when people go out with opiates, they do it in a more controlled way. They have Narcan, they have all of this stuff. And I think that the way that we're looking at the sugar sugar epidemic is through the lens of dieting, which is crazy. It's actually, it's actually so crazy. And so if we're looking, I mean, I uh, interviewed a guy, Robert Lustig, who's such an interesting person. And and I said, if you could do one, if you could do one thing to end this epidemic, what would you do? This is a total side note. And he said, I would stop all subsidies. I would stop all farming subsidies because if we stop farming subsidies, then we would have to be doing things different with our food. Mm. (laughs) But that's not my expertise in any way. But I think if, Mm. so if you're looking at it from my expertise, which is individual people, the thing I would teach you is this is an AA concept. You could be doing something at four o'clock in the afternoon and be doing something totally different at 401. And I write that in the book, which is about mm. you aim to quit. And if you can't meet that, and I'm sure in the Navy, I'm sure in your experience, it, there is something so close to this. You aim for your absolute best every single day. If you don't do it, you just try to do your best. It's like, what would go. we do? If we understood that we had this problem, we saw it as a problem of our Mm. spirit. We saw it as a problem of our mind. We saw it as a problem of our physicality. And then we just tried to do our best all of the time. And if we fell short, we were compassionate with ourselves. You know, we were thoughtful. We made a corrective action plan and we just came back to it. I mean, this is the mindfulness. I mean, this is really your podcast. The reason I'm laughing is, is compassion. Self-compassion is something Will and I talk about on almost every episode. We've we've even considered jokingly uh, changing the name of the show to men talking compassion. But I I think it is, we are so oriented because of diet culture to, to, to think that we're the problem in that moment. Right. So it's exactly what it's like. We are so oriented to just say, I ate my kid's food. I'm a bad person. And then our reaction to that is to go eat more of the kid's food until 
you're sick or your wife says, honey, the pants, or, <laughs> or right. you just get that one moment of grace where you say, okay, I'll try again. But then you try the thing that isn't going to work because it isn't fitting the problem, right? When truly, if we if we turned on our brains about this, is it okay, I have all this research, I see it. Okay, I took that quiz. Okay, now I'm going to just really, trying our best is such an underrated virtue. I'm going to really try my best. Well, I think I the competitive, is the compassion I feel is like that ultimate relationship that we're really trying. I mean, so if we're, if we're trying to break up with sugar, we're definitely going to fall short, but if I'm more compassionate with myself and that means I'm more kind to myself, therefore I'm going to allow myself to fall short, but also have the, you know, probably wanting no. to maybe. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, we're curious. Like when we're compassionate and open there we go. curiosity, like Boom. that's what I call it. I call it the three C's, right? I get compassionate, I get curious, and then I can make a corrective action plan. Like yeah, I said this to one of my patients, I was doing with a patient today, she's bulimic, and we were talking about her, um, we were talking about her ingestion of um, diuretics. And I said, listen, I said, I know how hard it would be to report to me how many diuretics you're gonna take in a week. And I said, here's mm. what I wanna promise you. If, if you take 12 packs of Dolcolax, like, I'm just going to want to, I, I know that you have a really good reason for it. And I just want to understand why. And that's where our work is going to start, mm, you know, because yeah. wow. like, and that's, but that's just like, I'm sure in that moment when you ate the cupcake, there was a really good reason why, but when we move right into shame and self-harm and yeah, yeah. Yeah. unworthiness to bring Tara Brock into our podcast, you know, it's gone. And all it does is reinforce that you should just go numb more. Right. But if it's yeah. like, I wonder what happened there. What made me vulnerable to doing that? Right, right. What would it look like well, if I didn't do that again? Yeah, compassion kind of pulls us into the middle ground of that curiosity instead of being like, oh, I fucked up again. So, you know, now I feel shameful and then I'm now I'm more likely to eat sugar again or, or, or like, you know, uh, be, you know, kind of be more of an addict. Whereas like that compassion kind of, like you said, opens up that curiosity and that opportunity for change. Well, yeah, and, and, I think, uh, like, and I think diet culture and diet failure has really put us into this, like it, yeah, like self hates an addiction in its own thing. Like even someone right. said in this thing, like I'm good, I'm bad. I mean, it's become so moral. And I do love us talking about the science because it's like it's not like it's it's not moral at all. It's actually incredibly biological and spiritual. Like it's so not mm. moral. It's so far from moral. And the more we make it moral, the less solvable it becomes because that shame and morality kind of live on the same plane, you know? Wow. Well, you, uh, well, I mean, it's also part of the, you know, part of one thing we like to talk about on the, on the podcast and you really eloquently and beautifully uh, break, break out into the book is the coping, right? Long-term and short-term coping skills in order to, you know, like, so it's nice what, what, what's, what John and I are creating here is this is opportunity to become more mindful of whatever aspect of, of your life that can, you know, can not use a little bit more analysis or just kind of a little bit more observation. So you can make changes in order to improve your life and be a better person and try again, you know, like we mentioned, like tomorrow where um, the short and long term goals are these are the opportunities these are these mindfulness moments. So, OK, I know I want sugar, or that cupcake or that pizza or the, you know, um, uh, and then it's like, okay, what do I do in the short term? I thought it was interesting. You splash cold water on your face as, as a short-term coping skill, right? And then you also have long-term. An ice pack so. is life. An ice pack is life. Well, I think the other thing I say in that chapter, which arguably is the most important thing, it changed me so much. It's from me being trained as a dialectical behavioral therapist. My teacher, the creator, the, the treatment creator, you know, she says this very clear thing, which is 
as long as the problem behavior is on the table, change is impossible. What she means by that is yeah. as long as food is on the table as a coping skill. There you go. You're not taking a bubble bath. And I would argue yeah. it just from my dopamine high friend, Namaste, and John, it's like, listen, if I can get a high in a moment and that's available to me, a numb or a high, a dopamine, whatever, like I'm not like a bubble bath ain't doing it for me. And the only time a bubble bath, a journal, a call to a friend, an ice pack is mm. ever going to work is when that food is off the table. And I want to say, and this is very controversial, love me or hate me, but I actually say all food. Because in this moment right now, if you said to me, Molly, do you want some baby carrots or do you want to listen to a Spotify mix? I'm like, baby mm. carrots, please. That's <laughs> right. Please. You know what I mean? So. Well, and imagine even just the same action of chewing and eating and yeah, consuming food, right? Gives the same the chemistry, same process, right? Whereas like, okay, no, I'm not kidding. Oh, sorry, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's like, no. that's kind of, and that's that process. That we under, you know, that there's this idea in, um, in DBT that we call like perceived competence. And I think perceived competence when it comes to skills is like a big thing. I think we think we're smarter than we are. <laughs> like, right. So it's like, ugh. I just know it for me because I didn't start using skills until I was like 32 being trained in DBT, you know, but like, it seems so simple, but you actually have to like process, you have to like practice it, you know, and you have to practice mm. it when, before, when you're in, when you're in an urge to have sugar, if you haven't practiced listening to a Spotify mix or putting ice in your neck, like I could be standing in your kitchen being like, Hey, you want a free session? You'd be like, get the fuck out of the way. I want the <laughs> Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying? to the sugar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the same, so same with practice it. So yeah. Stephen's saying this really interesting thing over in the corner where he's saying that his wife loves to bake and she makes amazing cakes. I mean, count me in. And it takes all the strength to avoid eating. And strength is so this is, you know, willpower is a 15 minute intervention. Did you know that? Mm. So if well, what is it? Yeah, you break that down. Yeah on our strength, if we're only relying on our willpower, we're totally screwed. Stephen oh, could wow. be Superman. Stephen could be Superman and it's 15 minutes. If that's the only thing we're using is our willpower. I'm holding on in, in the AA community called white knuckling eventually. Mm -hmm. That's willpower. Willpower is an emergency skill. And so that's the other piece of this is that we're, we're not orienting ourselves to what we know works, which is the first thing I actually think works more than anything is a bright line. Bright line goes a long way. So declaring that you don't, knowing that you don't eat sugar makes life a whole lot easier. I know it doesn't seem that way, but I actually think the brighter the, brighter the line, the easier the process. Because mm -hmm. I just look at a lot of foods and I'm just like, yeah, not my food. And I need to say to y'all, like, I eat like a queen. I live for my food. I love it. It loves me back like game fucking on, you know what I'm saying? But a bright line goes a long way. Cause like if I was in his kitchen, a, I wouldn't be able to be in his kitchen. I wouldn't stay in the kitchen that long. I'd probably talk to my wife about it. I really would, but that's just me. And I would try to stay away from it. Cause there's so many hunger cues. That come. I mean, it's such a complicated yeah. thing. I'd have bright lines. I'd have skills. I'd be outside. I mean, you have to kind of hustle on that. It's, I mean, Stephen must be such a strong person if he's not eating those cakes because the the strength of sugar and the strength of cake and the strength of the emotional 
the emotional attachment to that is so insane. Cake is something you eat as a kid. Wife is someone you love. Looking at it deliciously, smelling it. I mean, you yeah, don't even know. Yeah. Like, what a, I mean, that guy might actually be Superman if he's not eating that cake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Without yeah. a plan. And as they say, you know, what do they say over there? Fail to plan, plan to fail. I mean, yeah. right. and coming planning back to the- overrides willpower every single day. Right. True. And that willpower is, you know, you can have less and less willpower. Like, like if you've, if you're tired at the end of the day, yeah. um, or if you've made a whole lot of decisions, right. Decision fatigue plays into your willpower. It, de- it degrades your willpower. So I think mm-hmm. they've done a study on where they had somebody memorize, you know, three numbers versus memorizing 10 numbers and then, and then walk down the hall. And as they're walking down the hall, they passed a, a stack of pastries and the people who re- memorized 10 numbers grab the pastries more often than the people who memorize three. Uh, Yeah, because you have only so much willpower and it gets degraded by just about everything we do. Molly, uh, I'm not sure how much time you have. Do you? I know, I I have probably like five minutes. Okay. I just need to say something about that because people are like, I'm so like, I'm such a broken record with like patients and it's like literally planning and bright lines. Like if you really like, what should I do right now? I'd be like, start to plan your food and start to create some bright lines because that's really what overrides decision fatigue is the, that's how you re, and again, like meditation, it's like, Mm -hmm. that's how you get these new neural pathways in. Like everyone's like, do you still plan your food? And my answer is kind of, right? Because I've done it for 12 years. It's, I don't even think that I do, but I do. I know what I'm eating for lunch today. I know what I'm probably having for dinner. Like it's always in there, but it's because I created a neural pathway where that happens. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Wow. Can I just well, say one more thing? Yeah, no, please. my God, please. Okay. So here's this other thing. About- <laughs> You're funny. Okay. I love how you set yourself up, Molly. You're amazing. Okay. <laughs> it's good. So, I'm like such a smarty. I'm like, so. <laughs> I know. People talk about wisdom and binging and people say well if i'm really kind and generous to myself then i'm going to be binging my brains out like what are you even talking about like i need to be hard on myself right if i radically accept how bad this thing is then i'm just gonna be eating my brains out i'm not actually gonna be able to fix it does that make sense to you guys and i think there's a lot of this where once you have the information that becomes your wisdom Right. And so Hmm. the idea of why would mindfulness and compassion and kindness really work? And it's like, well, if you create this home base full of knowledge and and what works for you, then your game. This is what I think about meditation. I think once you learn the information and you learn what food works for you, you learn what food doesn't work Hmm. for you and everything in between, then actually the name of the game after that is mindfulness, right? My teacher's definition of mindfulness is refocusing the attention back to your wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. I know she's the dopest. She's also a Zen Buddhist master, Marshall Linehan. And so it's like, that's just, I mean, truly, I really think that's like the game of the game. That is why I'm such a huge proponent of mindfulness. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's a, but it's just, it's again, it's like it, so much of everything we've talked about today is, is un- understanding wh- what is your relationship to food, to flour, right? I mean, sugar for sure, you know. Well, it's like um, flour, but, flour. Well, I know, pizza, pizza, goddamn. Well, it's like, please don't make me kidding. stop eating pizza. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But it's like, but then it's like, but knowing where you are, I mean, that's a big part of the awareness with mindfulness is knowing where you are and being, you know, and you have to be authentic and honest with yourself where you are. Right. And then working for ways. Right. I mean, and it, it's probably getting help is probably if you really have a 
uh, you know, a very vicious cycle with, with sugar and flour. Um, and then seeking help, I think would be the, like probably the best option yeah. to becoming more. Yeah, There's go ahead. a LinkedIn user who's saying this thing that I have to, I have to say something to, which Jump is saying, can you tell me your mind control? And I think the other thing we were like kind of missed, the, I hope we didn't miss the boat on is when I stopped eating sugar and flour, my wisdom came out of the ICU. I don't actually have oh. a lot of mind control because my brain yeah. works really well now and my endocrine system's incredibly right. regulated mm, that yeah. that like it, i don't actually need a lot of control because i surrendered everything talk about like the mindfulness yeah. of it all right 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 so of course and i really am grateful for susie because thank god the intermittent fasting question comes up because when in the world does intermittent fasting not come up when i'm talking to somebody here's the <laughs> intermittent fasting if you have an eating disorder, you're, you can't be intermittent fasting because it's eating disordered. And so for if it's my, my and, and I'm a behaviorist by trade, and the truth is you can't teach a dog to sit and give you its paw at the very same time. And so I would say you work on the sugar addiction and then you see if you need the intermittent fasting. Well, there yeah. you go. Because the other the other was then it's just diet culture, diet culture, diet culture. It's like too much noise. I hate noise. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, anyway. Thank you, Molly. I love you guys. Yeah. We no, really I appreciated think. having you here. And and normally we wrap it up with a closing practice. I don't know if you have time for that, but before, if, if we do, if we don't, I, no, I want to. Like 30 seconds. Could you do yeah. 30 seconds? But, uh, yeah. Something's but, always better than nothing. Am I right? That's right. I agree. And, and exactly. I do also just want to put out a couple plugs for what it is you're doing. So, if, if you're watching, if you're listening, tune into Molly's Carmel, uh, <laughs> Molly Carmel's podcast, What You're Craving, where Molly gets real and raw with her guests about underlying issues causing drama in the relationship with food, dieting, and body image. Yeah, the other there thing are, we're doing right now is having a lot of like real life stories on. I'm nice. like very into like real life stories. Yeah, wow, perfect. Excellent. There you go. And those episodes are released every Wednesday. And then she's also hosting virtual I'm, ho I'm hoping I pronounce this right. Intensati classes. Yes, Intensati. Oh, nice. Did you know that, Will? No, it's I didn't so know that. God uh, damn, that's awesome. It's so great because you know what? I realized how deeply spiritual this Intensati is a spiritual fitness class where we put self affirming mantras and movement together. It's such a game. I'm such a cynic and it's such a game changer. And it's Love actually it. just pay what you can. Like, I don't even care if people pay for it. I think it's such a uh, Yeah. Class. Wow. And how do, how do people find us? That, that's on your website? Yeah, everything's on mollycarmel.com or on my Perfect. social channels. Everything's at, everything's at mollycarmel, mollycarmel.com, at mollycarmel. I'm so easy to find. Easy oh, enough. You, we love awesome. it. We love it. Awesome. Um, well, I'll just do a very simple, we're going to take um, uh, just a simple uh, cleansing practice, yeah. a nice uh, releasing yeah. kind of the episode kind of practice. Um, we're going to simply just follow uh, along with me. Um, so close your eyes if you like, if that's safe for you and find a comfortable seat with a nice straight spine or stand up tall if you're whatever you're doing out there when you're listening to our podcast. Let's exhale the breath out. We're going to take two inhales, right? So we're going to take one big inhale, hold that, and then take another little um, bump through the nose, take another inhale and open your mouth and exhale out. <sighs> Right, we're just going to do two more of those. Take a big inhale. Try to fill the whole torso. Let's pause for a second. Take another one through the nose. And exhale out. Awesome. And one more of those. Big inhale. 
keep filling up more and more and more and more and more breath. Hold, hold, hold for a second. Take another inhale and exhale out. Good. Just take a moment, just check in how you're feeling now, if that has changed anything of, of how you're feeling or, or whatever's going on in the world around you. And uh, Molly, thank you so much for joining guys. us today. Thank you all day. I love you guys I know. so much. We really enjoyed I'm this. Totally Thanks so much. I'm going to use that I love that breath thing. That was so good. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a great way to just release anxiety. So, I mean, maybe that could right. be one of your coping things. You know, if you want to rush for sugar. Get into my maybe... toolbox right this minute, Will. Oh, yeah. Great, right? And that's kind of what I was you know, that's what trying to do. Yeah, just do a couple of those breaths and that can maybe, you know, move you beyond that, uh, you know, grabbing for those Twinkies or something like that. Okay. And uh, so, um, Molly, okay. anything else before we go? What's that? Anything else? Anything yeah. else before we go? Yeah, right. just like, yeah, I have one thing I have to say. You might think that this is impossible and it's not. And I've been an addictions therapist a long, long, long time. And I know one thing for sure. You never actually know which attempt at quitting is going to work. And that is why we just make this commitment. It's the second chapter of my book that we never, ever, ever give up on ourselves. Mm. You know, if you have this knowing that sugar is a problem, it is. And all you do is make this commitment to be open-minded, continue trying, and never, ever, ever give up on yourself. That's there you that. Go. We'll leave it Thank at that. You, Thank you so much, Love Molly. you guys. Been a pleasure. Take care. Awesome. Be well, Molly. Great to see you. Love you. Love you. Thanks for joining Will and John on Men Talking Mindfulness. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share it with your friends and family. And please, we would appreciate a review too. Until next time, this has been Men Talking Mindfulness. Thanks for showing up.